Section 41 of Fabiola by Nicholas Patrick Cardinal Wiseman. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Maria Therese. Part Second Conflict. Chapter 22. The Viaticum. A true contrast to the fury and discord without was the scene within the prison. Peace, serenity, cheerfulness, and joy reigned there, and the rough stone walls and vaults re-echoed to the chance of psalmody in which Pancratius was precentor, and in which depth called out to depth. For the prisoners in the lower dungeon responded to those above, and kept up the alternation of verses, in those psalms which the circumstances naturally suggested. The eve of fighting with, that is, being torn to pieces by wild beasts, was always a day of greater liberty. The friends of the intended victims were admitted to see them, and the Christians boldly took full advantage of the permission to flock to the prison, and commend themselves to the prayers of the blessed confessors of Christ. At evening they were led forth to enjoy what was called the free supper, that is, an abundant and even luxurious public feast. The table was surrounded by pagans curious to watch the conduct and looks of the morrow's combatants, but they could discern neither the bravado and boisterousness, nor the dejection and bitterness of ordinary culprits. To the guests it was truly an agape, or love-feast, for they supped with calm joyfulness and missed cheerful conversation pancratius however once or twice reproved the unfeeling curiosity and rude remarks of the crowd saying to-morrow is not sufficient for you because you love to look upon the objects of your future hatred to-day you are our friends to-morrow our foes but mark well our countenances that you may know them again in the day of judgment many retired at this rebuke and not a few were led by it to conversion but while the persecutors thus prepared a feast for the bodies of their victims, the church, their mother, had been preparing a much more dainty banquet for the souls of her children. They had been constantly attended on by the deacons, particularly Reparatus, who would gladly have joined their company, but his duty forbade this at present. After, therefore, having provided as well as possible for their temporal wants, he had arranged with the pious priest Dionysius, who still dwelt in the house of Agnes, to send, towards evening, sufficient portions of the bread of life to feed early in the morning of their battle the champions of christ although the deacons bore the consecrated elements from the principal church to others where they were only distributed by the titulars the office of conveying them to the martyrs in prison and even to the dying was committed to inferior ministers on this day that the hostile passions of heathen rome were unusually excited by the coming slaughter of so many christian victims it was a work of more than common danger to discharge this duty for the revelations of trochatus had made it known that fulvius had carefully noted all the ministers of the sanctuary and given a description of them to his numerous active spies hence they could scarcely venture out by day unless thoroughly disguised the sacred bread was prepared and the priest turned round from the altar on which it was placed to see who would be its safest bearer before any others could step forward, the young acolyte, Darcisius, knelt at his feet. With his hand extended before him, ready to receive the sacred deposit, with a countenance beautiful in its lovely innocence as an angel's, he seemed to entreat for preference, and even to claim it. "'Thou art too young, my child,' said the kind priest, filled with admiration of the picture before him. "'My youth, holy father, will be my best protection.' Oh, do not refuse me this great honor. 
the tears stood in the boy's eyes and his cheeks glowed with a modest emotion as he spoke these words he stretched forth his hand eagerly and his entreaty was so full of fervor and courage that the plea was irresistible the priest took the divine mysteries wrapped up carefully in a linen cloth then in an outer covering and put them on his palms saying remember tarsicius what a treasure is entrusted to thy feeble care avoid public places as thou goest along and remember that holy things must not be delivered to dogs nor pearls be cast before swine thou wilt keep safely god's sacred gifts i will die rather than betray them answered the holy youth as he folded the heavenly trust in the bosom of his tunic and with cheerful reverence started on his journey there was a gravity beyond the usual expression of his years stamped upon its countenance as he tripped lightly along the streets avoiding equally the more public and the too low thoroughfares as he was approaching the door of a large mansion its mistress a rich lady without children saw him coming and was struck with his beauty and sweetness as with arms folded on his breast he was hastening on stay one moment dear child she said putting herself in his way tell me thy name and where do thy parents live i am tarsicius an orphan boy he replied looking up smilingly and i have no home save one which it might be displeasing to thee to hear then come into my house and rest i wish to speak to thee oh that i had a child like thee not now noble lady not now i have entrusted to me a most solemn and sacred duty and i must not tarry a moment in its performance then promise to come to me to-morrow this is my house if i am alive i will answered the boy with a kindled look which made him appear to her as a messenger from a higher sphere she watched him a long time and after some deliberation determined to follow him soon however she heard a tumult with horrid cries which made her pause on her way until they had ceased when she went on again in the meantime tarsicius with his thoughts fixed on better things than her inheritance hastened on and shortly came into an open space where boys just escaped from school were beginning to play we just want one to make up the game where shall we get him said their leader capital exclaimed another here comes tarsicius whom i am not seen for an age he used to be an excellent hand at all sports come tarsicius he added stopping him by seizing his arm whither so fast take a part in our game that's a good fellow i can't petulius now i really can't i am going on business of great importance but you shall exclaimed the first speaker a strong and bullying youth laying hold of him i will have no sulking when i want anything done so come join us at once i entreat you said the poor boy feelingly do let me go no such thing replied the other what is that you seem to be carrying so carefully in your bosom a letter i suppose well it will not addle by being for half an hour out of its nest give it to me and i will put it by safe while we play and he snatched at the sacred deposit in his breast never never answered the child looking up towards heaven i will see it insisted the other rudely i will know what is this wonderful secret and he commenced pulling him roughly about a crowd of men from the neighborhood soon got round and all asked eagerly what was the matter they saw a boy who with folded arms seemed endowed with a supernatural strength 
as he resisted every effort of one much bigger and stronger to make him reveal what he was bearing cuffs pulls blows kicks seemed to have no effect he bore them all without a murmur or an attempt to retaliate but he unflinchingly kept his purpose what is it what can it be one began to ask the other when fulvius chanced to pass by and joined the circle round the combatants he at once recognized Tercius, having seen him at the ordination and being asked as a better dressed man the same question he replied contemptuously as he turned on his heels what is it why only a christian ass bearing the mysteries this was enough fulvius while he scorned such unprofitable prey knew well the effect of his word heathen curiosity to see the mysteries of the christians revealed and to insult them was aroused and a general demand was made to tarsicius to yield up his charge never with life was his only reply a heavy blow from a smith's fist nearly stunned him while the blood flowed from the wound another and another followed till covered with bruises with his arms crossed fast upon his breast he fell heavily on the ground the mob closed upon him and was just seizing him to tear open his thrice holy trust when they felt themselves pushed aside right and left by some giant strength some went reeling to the further side of the square others were spun round and round they knew not how till they fell where they were and the rest retired before a tall athletic officer who was the author of this overthrow he had no sooner cleared the ground that he was on his knees and with tears in his eyes raised up the bruised and fainting boy as tenderly as a mother could have done and in most gentle tones asked him are you much hurt tarsicius never mind me quadratus answered he opening his eyes with a smile but i am carrying the divine mysteries take care of them the soldier raised the boy in his arms with tenfold reverence as if bearing not only the sweet victim of a youthful sacrifice a martyr's relics but the very king and lord of martyrs and the divine victim of eternal salvation the child's head leaned in confidence on the stout soldier's neck but his arms and hands never left their watchful custody of the confided gift and his gallant bearer felt no weight in the hollow double burden which he carried no one stopped him till a lady met him and stared amazedly at him she drew nearer and looked closer at what he carried is it possible she exclaimed with terror is that tarsicius whom i met a few moments ago so fair and lovely who can have done this madam replied quadratus they have murdered him because he was a christian the lady looked for an instant on the child's countenance he opened his eyes upon her smiled and expired from that look came the light of faith she hastened to be a christian likewise the venerable dionysius could hardly see for weeping as he removed the child's hands and took from his bosom unviolated the holy of holies and he thought he looked more like an angel now sleeping the martyr's slumber than he did when living scarcely an hour before Quadratus himself bore him to the cemetery of Callistus, where he was buried amidst the admiration of older believers, and later the holy pope Damasus composed for him an epitaph, which no one can read without concluding that the belief in the real presence of our Lord's body in the blessed Eucharist was the same then as now. Tarsicium Sanctum Christi Sacramenta Gerentum, cum male sana manus peteret vulgare profanis, 
ipse animam potius volui dimitere chesus pradere conconibus radibus celestia membra note christ's secret gifts by good tarsicius born the mob profanely bade him to display he rather gave his own limbs to be torn than christ's celestial to mad dogs betray he is mentioned in the roman martyrology on the fifteenth of august as commemorated in the cemetery of callistus whence his relics were in due time translated to the church of st sylvester in campo as an old inscription declares news of this occurrence did not reach the prisoners till after their feast and perhaps the alarm that they were to be deprived of the spiritual food to which they looked forward for strength was the only one that could have overcast even slightly the serenity of their souls at this moment sebastian entered and perceived at once that some unpleasant news had arrived and as quickly divined what it was for quadratus had already informed him of all he cheered up therefore the confessors of christ assured them that they should not be deprived of their coveted food then whispered a few words to apparatus the deacon who flew out immediately with a look of bright intelligence sebastian being known to the guards had passed freely in and out of the prison daily and had been indefatigable in his care of its inmates but now he was come to take his last farewell of his dearest friend pancratius who had longed for this interview they drew to one side when the youth began well sebastian do you remember when we heard the wild beast roar from your window and looked at the many gaping arches of the amphitheatre as open for the christian's triumph yes my dear boy i remember that evening well and it seemed to me as if your heart anticipated then the scenes that await you to-morrow it did in truth i felt an inward assurance that i should be one of the first to appease the roaring fury of those deputies of human cruelty but now that the time has come i can hardly believe myself worthy of so immense an honour what can i have done sebastian not indeed to deserve it but to be chosen out as the object of so great a grace you know pancratius that it is not he who willeth nor he that runneth but god who hath mercy that maketh the election but tell me rather how do you now feel about to-morrow's glorious destiny to tell the truth it seems to me so magnificent so far beyond my right to claim that sometimes it appears more like a vision than a certainty does it not sound almost incredible to you that i who this night am in a cold dark and dismal prison shall be before another sun has set listening to the harping of angelic lyres walking in the procession of white-robed saints inhaling the perfume of celestial incense and drinking from the crystal waters of the stream of life is it not too like what one may read or hear about another but hardly dares to think is to be in a few hours real of himself and nothing more than you have described pancratius oh yes far more far more than one can name without presumption that i a boy just come out of school who have done nothing for christ as yet should be able to say sometime to-morrow i shall see him face to face and adore him and shall receive from him a palm and a crown yea and an affectionate embrace i feel it so like a beautiful hope that it startles me to think it will soon be that no longer and yet sebastian he continued fervently seizing both his friend's hands it is true it is true and more still pancratius yes sebastian more still and more to close one's eyes upon the faces of men and open them in full gaze on the face of god 
to shut them upon ten thousand countenances scowling on you with hatred contempt and fury from every step of the amphitheatre and unclose them instantly upon that one sun-like intelligence whose splendour would dazzle or scorch did not its beams surround and embrace and welcome us to dart them at once into the furnace of god's heart and plunge into its burning ocean of mercy and love without fear of destruction surely sebastian it sounds like presumption in me to say that to-morrow nay hush the watchman from the capital is proclaiming midnight that to-day to-day i shall enjoy all this happy pancratius exclaimed the soldier you anticipate already by some hours the raptures to come and do you know dear sebastian continued the youth as if unconscious of the interruption it looks to me so good and merciful in god to grant me such a death how much more willingly must one at my age face it when it puts an end to all that is hateful on earth when it extinguishes but the sight of hideous beasts and sinning men scarcely less frightful than they and hushes only the fiend-like yells of both how much more trying would it be to part with the last tender look of a mother like mine and shut one's ears to the sweet plaint of her patient voice true i shall see her and hear her for the last time as we have arranged to-day before my fight but i know she would not unnerve me a tear had made its way into the affectionate boy's eye but he suppressed it and said with a gay tone but sebastian you have not fulfilled your promise your double promise to me to tell me the secrets you conceal from me this is your last opportunity so come let me know all do you remember well what the secrets were right well indeed for they have much perplexed me first on that night of the meeting in your apartments you said there was one motive strong enough to check your ardent desire to die for christ and lately you refused to give me a reason for dispatching me hastily to campania and join this secret to the others how i cannot conceive yet they form but one i had promised to watch over your true welfare pancratius it was a duty of friendship and love that i had assumed i saw your eagerness after martyrdom i knew the ardent temperament of your youthful heart i dreaded lest you should commit yourself by some overdaring action which might tarnish even as lightly as a breath does finely tempered steel the purity of your desire or tip with a passing blight one single leaf of your palm i determined therefore to restrain my own earnest longings till i had seen you safe through danger was this right oh it was too kind of you dear sebastian it was nobly kind but how is this connected with my journey if i had not sent you away you would have been seized for your boldly tearing down the edict or your rebuke of the judge in his court you would have been certainly condemned and would have suffered for christ but your sentence would have proclaimed a different and a civil offence that of rebellion against the emperors and moreover my dear boy you would have been singled out for a triumph you would have been pointed at by the very heathens with honour as a gallant and daring youth you might have been disturbed even in your conflict by a transient cloud of pride at any rate you would have been spared the ignominy which forms the distinctive merit and the special glory of dying for simply being a christian quite true sebastian said pancratius with a blush but when i saw you continued the soldier taken in the performance of a generous act of charity towards the confessors of christ when i saw you dragged through the streets chained to a galley-slave as a common culprit when i saw you pelted and hooted like other believers when i heard sentence pronounced on you in common with the rest 
because you are a Christian, and for nothing else, I felt that my task was ended. I would not have raised a finger to save you. How like God's love has yours been to me, so wise, so generous, and so unsparing, sobbed out Pancratius as he threw himself on the soldier's neck, then continued, Promise me one thing more, that this day you will keep near me to the end, and will secure my lasting legacy to my mother. Even if it costs my life, I will not fail. We shall not be parted long, Pancratius. The deacon now gave notice that all was ready for offering up the holy oblation in the dungeon itself. The two youths looked round, and Pancratius was indeed amazed. The holy priest, Lucianus, was laid stretched on the floor, with his limbs painfully distended in the castasta, or stocks, so that he could not rise. Upon his breast, Reparatus had spread the three linen cloths requisite for the altar. On them was laid the unleavened bread, and the mingled chalice, which the deacon steadied with his hand. The head of the aged priest was held up as he read the accustomed prayers, and performed the prescribed ceremonies of the oblation and consecration. And then each one, approaching devoutly, and with tears of gratitude, received from his consecrated hand his share, that is, the whole of the mystical food. Marvelous and beautiful instance of the power of adaptation in God's church. Fixed as are her laws, her ingenious love finds means, through their very relaxation, to demonstrate their principles. Nay, the very exception presents only a sublimer application of them. Here was a minister of God and a dispenser of his mysteries, who for once was privileged to be, more than others, like him when he represented, at once the priest and the altar. The church prescribed that the holy sacrifice should be offered only over the relics of martyrs. Here was a martyr, by a singular prerogative, permitted to offer it over his own body. Yet living, he lay beneath the feet of God. The bosom still heaved, and the heart panted under the divine mysteries, it is true, but that was only part of the action of the minister, while self was already dead, and the sacrifice of life was, in all but act, completed in him. There was only Christ's life within and without the sanctuary of the breast. Was ever viaticum for martyrs more worthily prepared? End of section 41